Hello and welcome to episode 198 of NCP. My name is David. With me are the NCP crew, Richard. 198! Sorry, I've been watching uh, the other day some darts. And whenever somebody <laughs> makes a score, they say, 180! And I just... I don't know. That was more riveting than the actual... Like, when the, when the score gets... Like, the higher the score, the more excited the guy got. Dude, you're slowly turning into Stephen Fry. That's scary, isn't it? <laughs> would it, would it uh, be better for you if you had, like, a bit of beer in front of you or something? Well, there was a bit of that. Like, all of the guys in the competition... First of all, they don't stop. It's like, throw a dart, move around, next guy throws... Next, and there's no, no pausing. But every single one of the guys had, like, massive beer bellies. And I'm thinking, this is the greatest sport ever. <laughs> So yes, uh, 198! Uh, look, an entire house full of DVDs, comics and books, and you couldn't find anything more interesting to watch than the darts. I was at work, waiting for a guy to come into the room so we could watch True Crime. Okay. And also, the darts was just on. It's also called YouTube. <laughs> no, 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 this was actually on Foxtel. Yeah, but okay. you've got YouTube in front of you. Leave it on. And Crystal. Hello. At least it wasn't the golf. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. At least it wasn't the golf. <laughs> well, he's played a fantastic shot there. It's the snooker. Uh, on in the this green. episode, we don't have any golf. Uh, we have our, as our standard, two dust jackets, um, and uh, we also have a special announcement and a special segment that I actually don't want to reveal just yet. So after Ooh. the dust jackets, I have a special announcement to make. Oh. That's it. You've now got something to look forward to. He's everybody. finally learned to, to how to do the sizzle. <laughs> You could give them a bit of sizzle and they'll come back for more. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> awesome. Boom. Tish. I know. So let's, uh, let's uh, get the ball rolling with Dust Jacket number one, uh, which is always Richo and uh, one of the other crew. Uh, for this, uh, this particular Dust Jacket, we're doing Richo and Luke Hooray. are doing The End of Eternity by Isaac Asimov. Okay, The End of Eternity by, let's face facts, NCP hero, Isaac Asimov. <laughs> NCP's own. We, we love Isaac Asimov. <laughs> I'm blinded by that shrine to Asimov we've got in, that, got in the corner there. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're after those. All sort of those robots. Those are our yearly Asimov books. We're, we're all growing yeah, mutton as, chops. Asimov, Asimov <laughs> Festival that we, that we like to run. Um, so we're actually moving back to one of his early books, uh, The End of Eternity. Uh, which, for all of you uh, keeping record, is number 50 Ooh. on the Sci-Fi Let's Top 200 Sci-Fi Books of All Time. 50? Number 50. That's disgraceful. It's, um, look, I know that, you know, by NCP regulations, Asimov would pretty much take up the top 10. <laughs> Asimov could take up the top 200. <laughs> well, you know, you've got to allow... Least, out of control. You've got to allow room for uh, Battlefield Earth. As, Asimov would think so. <laughs> he, he knows his own quality. So, um, The End of Eternity was published in 1955 and is a little bit different, I find, from... Um, <laughs> From, you know, a lot of the... I mean, the Asimov, obviously, your, your big foundation and robot-y type stuff. This, this one's actually a little bit different. Um, and has a really interesting origin behind why, how the story developed. But we'll go into that in a minute. First of all, let's talk about the plot itself. Um, the eternity that we're talking about here is... Um, basically, it's a corporation. I would have said an institution more than a corporation. But they're, well, they're, still, they're, still, they're still running uh, trade. Mm. All right. Eternity is... Yeah, an organisation then um, that uh, basically has what would you call it? A shaft, I guess, through time. Yes, a, a, a link between the centuries. Which yeah, they call kettle. Yeah, a little kettle device, like like an elevator, basically yeah. that they travel through. Um, Think TARDIS, but goes in you know straight lines rather yeah. than all um, around across thousands of centuries worth of time. Um, they were established uh, in the 27th century as the first, uh, I guess, time tunnel link thing. Mm. Um, and since then, they have opened up trade between different time periods. Um, but they also have this thing where they basically change time. They have uh, calculators uh, who are humans um, that work with computers, with um, individuals called life plotters to determine the lives of people and societies. Um, and they work out, really, what they think time should be. 
where they think trouble spots are and what they need to do uh, through their calculations to ensure that those trouble spots don't happen and so those difficult a, times don't come around. It's a foundation uh, It's a bit more than that. Like, this is... The foundation was a series of predictions that may happen and steps that would need to be taken. Mm. This is more along the lines of, ah, you know, humans are going to, you know, destroy themselves in an atomic war, so we've got to do something to stop that from happening so that that timeline doesn't occur. And the foundation is all about how much Selden's predictions needed to be maintained, whereas this is actually all about well, the, there's actually a problem with humanity actually doing this because, yeah, yeah. Um, um, because we are um, interfering with the fundamental laws of the universe and um, actually changing things to a disastrous effect as um, our main character, Andrew Harlan, discovers or is told um, through the course of yeah. the story. Now, Harlan, um, as Luke said, our main character, um, he is a technician. His job, quite simply, is to come in once calculations have been made, he comes in, he checks calculations, he, and then he is the one that actually enacts the change. Mm. Now, they work on the idea of the minimum required change, really, for the maximum effect. Um, but the technician's job is to come in and actually make that change. Um, and to give you an example, um, when we first meet um, Harlan, he has a prediction that says, oh, they've got to blow up a ship and kill a bunch of people in order for something to happen. He then recalculates that and works out that all they need to do is move a box. Mm. And then so he's the one that goes in and moves the box. Now, the technicians are very isolated because of this, because basically they're the ones doing the changes and they hold the life of millions and billions of people across all the centuries after that point in their hands. So they're completely isolated from the rest of the, the people that work within eternity. Um, and they're kind of, people don't even want to touch them. Like, they're that, they're that terrified of, mm. of technicians. So he's a pretty isolated kind of guy. And, as you discover as the story progresses, pretty uh, angry guy as well. Yes. Um, he's obviously been on the internet a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he saw the Ghostbusters trailer. <laughs> they had, <laughs> God, the furor about that. So they've been dealing with... Um, <laughs> They they deal with a, a thousands no, no, no. of centuries. So just, to, just just to jump in there, no, he changed things so the Ghostbuster trailer didn't exist. That's, that's, <laughs> oh, oh. No, no, that's, that's not commentary. I'm not comment. That, that's what you're that's sexist. What, what, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't actually making any comments about <laughs> no, Ghostbusters trailer. I'm just, there. I'm just jumping to conclusions like everybody else mm. on the internet. Yeah, so eternity deals across thousands and thousands of centuries. However, there is also this little mystery set up early on about the hidden centuries. Mm, Areas the they that can't they, get they can't get to, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, because they think it's nuclear war or something like that? Well, they're, they're, they're not, they're, they're it's not, been shut off from there. It's been shut, shut off from them, yeah. yeah. They can't get to it. And that's that's actually quite a fascinating mystery. One of the that's things that, cool. that really hooked me in early on in this story was, you know, the hidden centuries. The hidden centuries. I know, it's brilliant. Um, it's like a, it'd be a perfect TV yeah. show. Um, Harlan, oh, yeah. Yeah. Harlan has been handpicked by... Senior computer Twistle, who is one of the higher up guys within I within love eternity. The Asimov character. You gotta love it, don't you? Um, What's his name? Twizzle. Twizzle. Or Twizzle, See, which doesn't sound any better. Yeah, I, I, I called him Twizzle. I just I got him, him Twizzle too. Yeah, Twizzle does sound German. Yeah. Um, so he's been pretty much handpicked and groomed into this role of technician, um, and he's good at it. Let's 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 clear this up right from the outset. He is one of the best at what he does. Like no, he is so completely believes in eternity and what they're doing. Um, he has no problem really with being isolated or anything. He's been well trained. Um, the one thing he does have, however, is an interest in prehistory, um, the primitive years, as they're called, which is basically the, the, the period before before the existence of eternity. So anything dating before the 27th, but certainly from the 23rd and down are, are his big periods. So out the 21st, 20th and 21st century are considered yeah. primitives. Yeah. Is yeah. he us? Yeah. Is just, just, awesome. just, to, just to sort of clarify that, so if you're reading this not going, that he's still talking about what we consider primitive yeah. history. I know, yeah. I've read it. Yeah. No, 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 the, the, oh, for the, oh, the listeners. Yeah. The, the, the audience, the yes. important people. Is That's that, right. That. <laughs> um, Twistle gives... gives Harlan the job of um, educating Brinsley Sheridan Cooper, which is That's the right name and a cool name. <laughs> <laughs> Brinsley Sheridan Cooper, who is basically being trained for eternity, but there's a little bit of a mystery behind him as well because he's being trained at a very late age, 
Like, we learned that Harlan and most people within Eternity are picked up in their teens, but Cooper is uh, actually brought into Eternity in his 20s. So there's the, the second sort of little mystery that we get. But the, the early part of the book, the, the main story at the early part of the book focuses on Harlan making a pretty big decision with massive consequences to turn his back on um, his training and save the life of Noise Lambent, another great name, who is a woman uh, in a century that Harlan finds himself in, who he falls in love with, um, and who, because of a reality change that is about to occur, will no longer exist. Um, so he begins a romance with her. Um, she'll, she'll let it get run over. <laughs> would have been hit by that truck. That's it would have right. been fine. Yeah. So he begins a relationship from her, and then before the reality change occurs, yeah, he actually spirits her away up into one of the hidden centuries. What a legend! Um, from there, we begin to see the. Well, first of all, the consequences of what he does, but specifically in. Harlan's mind, like he is so paranoid about what he's done and how right what he's done is, and how certain he is that they're going to find out that what he's what he's done and they're going to punish him for it and so on. Um, but as that sort of paranoia sets in and everything, he also begins to find that there's something much bigger going on. You know, what is with what is it with these hidden centuries? What's what's the deal there? And especially since Noise is actually in one of them, um, what is it about? Brinsley Sheridan Cooper that is you know that why is he being brought in why is he being trained and well, more importantly not... too why is Harlan mm. so important to everything that's going on mm. he finds out that he's and you know, in his mind he finds that he's got the upper hand in some situations because because he is important like he is vitally important to something and part of that is trying to find out what that what that what that is what the mystery behind really the mystery behind all of eternity is um, and so his actions lead him to discover a much bigger mystery going on. Um, and I'm trying to do this without spoiling too much of what that mystery well, that's is. That's pretty much it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's pretty much the book. Yeah, without revealing anything. Without revealing everything, yeah. 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 Um, now, um, the book has a rather interesting origin story in that in, in 1953, Asimov was reading a, um, an issue of Time magazine from the 1930s, and he came across... Um, what he thought was a mushroom cloud from a nuclear explosion. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's weird. What's that doing in 1932? Because no one had ever seen a, a, a nuclear explosion at that point. Mm. Um, but then he actually found out that it was actually um, a photo of a geyser. But that got him a thinking. What? Geyser. Oh, geyser. I thought mm. you said geisha. I thought you said geisha. I'm like, geisha. That's what? right. He looked at a photo of a geisha and thought. I often look at ga- atomic, I, I, when yeah, I was atomic. watching memory, memories of memoirs of a geisha. I thought this looks like a mushroom cloud. Yeah, but that actually got him <laughs> to thinking: what would, uh, you know, what would happen if a picture of a mushroom cloud appeared in a magazine before mm. the nuclear testing in the nineteen forties? Um, and that, he actually incorporates that into this story yeah, the, it, in it a very clever, clever in the way. conversation at the end. Yeah. It's very cool. Mm. Um, so yeah, so without giving too much away, um, really, what we've got here is. A science fiction mystery with actually quite a bit of sort of noirish tendencies. Maybe not so much the level of, say, something like Caves of Steel, mm. which is just an out and out noir story well, set in a science fiction environment. Asimov was a big fan of mystery stories. He was, yeah, oh. and in fact wrote mystery stories, mm. I believe. Yeah, at, at which we'll get point. to in the hour of it. Awesome. Um, so, um, yeah, so that, that's really what we're dealing with here. Um, now, I just want to talk about some positives first, and Luke, feel free to jump in at any time. First of all, this book has an awesome hook. Yes. Like, the idea of eternity, the guys going around making little changes to, to impact on, on the centuries ahead. Um, like, that that's the kind of awesome stuff you just love to see in science fiction. Is the Adjustment Bureau based on this book, no, or that's just a, ripped this book off? No, that's a Philip K. Dick story. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Well, that's... I think it, it, the, the Adjustment Bureau is like a, a much smaller scale level. This is, we're talking Time Lords here. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. That's what we're, we're talking about. They, they are... Big. One, one of the big things you find out pretty quickly on, too, uh, pretty early on, too, is that, really, they're preventing things like space travel. Mm. Mm. Like, you know, every time we go out into the stars, it's a waste of time, so why bother? So let's make mm. sure they don't do that. Yeah. And there's um, also and with that, there's also an interesting philosophical argument which comes to a head in the end, which is, 
ultimately are they actually is eternity actually serving mankind by doing things yeah. like um stopping or interfering with um well, really, uh, is, with is, space travel and then you know yeah. that one of one of the um, one of the computers is in fact almost the last of his kind not because they've all died out due to plague but because of the the interference that eternity has done mm. has ensured that his race mm. is on the verge in his timeline is almost on the verge of extinction and he's almost like a chronal anomaly mm. one, one of the big points that comes is that they they have wiped out um things that are strange and different and mm. they're really creating creating really a, a homogenous society across you know countless thousands of centuries like mm. it's and and in that regard I, I get a real sense of 50s backlash here yeah you know against you know the conformity and and conservatism of the 50s because and also of I, I guess um, uh, interference cultural interference in the 50s because really one of the big questions as Luke was sort of getting at was you know do we have the right to make these changes? Do we have the right to interfere with a society to impose upon them what we think should be their values and what we think should be the right thing to do? Um, One of the reasons why not, why Harlan is in Noyce's timeline to begin with is he's try, they're trying to eradicate um, the very suggestion that eternity might exist so that people don't actually suspect. Um, yeah, and also the idea in, in Noyce's time the people believe the Eternals are actually immortal. Like that, they live forever, and um, and they they yeah they want to wipe that belief out. Mm. Now, and that that comes back to the I guess the moral question because that what they seem to be doing there is not trying to help society, but trying to help themselves and mm. eliminate this mythology that's built around them. Um, so, first of all, yeah, there's a lot of big ideas with a lot of really interesting um, real world applications here. Uh, philosophically speaking, culturally speaking, and sociologically speaking, which is, you know, you always get in a, in a good Asimov story. Um, I, the second thing that I really like is actually Harlan as a character. You know, he's, he's completely isolated from the people around him. Mm. And it, it breeds a certain arrogance in him as well. But also, there is this kind of underlying loneliness, and, and when he meets Noise, the effect that Noise has on him. Um... You know, it's, it's, I find him to be... And he's not a likable character. Let's let's clear this out as well. You don't look at him and go, yeah, I wish I could be that guy. Um, in fact, in many respects, he's actually quite a bastard. And, and quite, and, and in some respects, you know, obviously really paranoid after the incident with noise occurs and the ramifications of that. But There's also a sexist and a misogynist before that as well. He's a little, that bit, out. a little bit of that, but not... I don't think he's completely sexist and misogynist. I just don't think he's had any interaction with women at all. Like, I, he doesn't I, He doesn't state, you know, women should stay in their place or, you know, women should be in the kitchen having babies or anything like that. Like, there's nothing intrinsically about that. But there is that sense that he just doesn't really know women at all. Like, he's been completely isolated from that. When I hear um, the terms they should be, it should be in the kitchen or, and or having babies, I always picture that Monty Python thing where she's in the, in the kitchen... kitchen. And she has a baby. And <laughs> she's got a baby, yeah. yeah. Um, when I say she, I mean him. <laughs> yeah, so I think, um, yeah, I think Harlan is actually quite an interesting character. Um, and, and part of him, you know, he has these failings as a character that make him a bit, a bit more real to me mm. in reading that. Um, having said that, if I were to point out uh, maybe a failing in the book, most of the other characters... Other than Harlan, and and I'd say Twistle as well. Yeah. Also because Twistle has an awesome name. <laughs> um, some of the other characters aren't really well fleshed out. The obvious example being noise. Noise. Mm. Yeah. Now as we've we've talked about this in the past, and Asimov has acknowledged this himself. He's, he's not a great writer of women, and he, he he uses some cliches without giving too much away. He uses some cliches. Um, in writing that character, but it, it certainly doesn't have that same thing that, say, Heinlein has. And if you know, listeners will remember our review of The Moon is a Harsh Mistress uh, a few weeks back, where we uh, really took him to task for his depiction of women. It was a harsh review yeah, of a harsh um, book about a harsh moon. Exactly right. <laughs> the problem I have with, um, with uh, the way he treats Noyce is that um, Harlan's love for her is what drives, is the central thing, conceit that drives the story. You know, yeah. they, it's the reason why Harlan's doing what he's doing. At times, you know, you get a sense of their relationship, but at times it doesn't quite 
feel it's fleshed out. It feels more like a device to yeah. see some of the other things going on in in eternity. Like mm-hmm. when we were, when we get told what the deal is with um with Cooper, mm-hmm. um, the stuff with Noah sort of takes a bit of a backseat because that section of the book actually takes up quite a large mm-hmm. um, chunk. And it also that brings up to my my other big problem, which is that um, this is when reviewing the other books, one of the big criticisms of Asimov is that he, you know, his use of exposition. Mm. There tends to be a lot of exposition. I could not quite understand that in the context of Foundation of the Caves of Steel, whereas here I could actually see that for the first time. There are lots of scenes and passages of um, us being told things by the other characters in a way to help make um, sense of the plot lines and the story. Um, and some of it's interesting information, but there's just such a so much of it um, that it, yeah, at, at some point you do go well, <laughs> sort of taken out of the plot here a little bit to help me make sense of the big idea that you're trying to explain that's going to come later on. Mm. There, I must admit, there's probably only two parts where that really got me. Mm. One was his he his actual the 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 building of his relationship with Noise. Yeah, where it's just like. They meet, they have sex. It's a montage. And he's in love with her, and, and it's very montage Yeah. And it's like, I think it would have worked better to to actually see that develop, mm. and also to give you a better picture of Noise, because there's, there's a, a few twists and turns in this, and I will say, there is one with Noise. Mm. Does Noise turn out to be Harlan? <laughs> That'd be weird. Um, there is a nice twist <laughs> with Noise. <laughs> there is a nice twist with Noise, which I actually found quite interesting, <laughs> but I think a little bit more of the build-up of their relationship early yeah. on might have actually made that twist work. She's, yeah, she's been hidden, and then suddenly yeah. in that moment at the end, she suddenly becomes a character, and you want... So yeah, then, if she'd been a character want, early on, yeah. I think that would have worked. So but then at the same time, you could say that that actually plays to the twist and, and the role that she's performing here. So um, but you could get, look at it that way, but that's sort of a bit of a leap on my part, I think. But to get a stronger sense of their relationship, I think, yeah. is what you're going at, yeah. rather than it yeah. sort of just being sort yeah. of chopped and... yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and actually, the same thing probably Bring the with, noise. Probably the same thing a little bit with Cooper as well. Mm. Um, given the mystery behind Cooper, a little bit about who Cooper is would have probably helped a little bit as well. But having said that, um, yeah, and there, there was one bit where they're trying to explain uh, later on, where they're trying to explain eternity, changes in eternity, mm. um, and you know, connecting that to the mystery of the, the hidden centuries and things. Once again, with Twistle, where it did, once again, it got a little bogged down, mm. but not so much so that I'm just sitting there thinking, Jesus Asimov, get on with it, which is something that <laughs> happens a lot with other no books. No one's ever said that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you still have here, even even at this early stage, you still have Asimov's strength as a writer, which, as we've talked about time and time again, economy of language, mm. the ability to get ideas across to you pretty clearly without having to thump over and over again and try and explain it all without getting lost in the science or anything like that. And it's, it, it still progresses really nicely. Like, I'm sitting there reading it, and you just you just burn through it because that's what you do with Asimov. It's so easy to read. Yeah. You know? Without being dumb, it is easy to read his books because of the beauty of the way that he writes. Mm. Of course, as with uh, all of things later on, um, there's, of course, attempts to tie this into everything else. Yep. Including the idea that the uh, that a reality that is created within End of Eternity is actually the one that leads to you know the Galactic Empire well, and to Foundation. The whole idea being that that Eternity's actually interfered and has stopped the creation of the Galactic Empire. But also the, at the end that, it, that they've actually succeeded in creating it. Like it's 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 one of those things where you know where they try to put all the robot stories and the Galactic Empire stories and the Foundation stories in, they then try to put. End of Eternity in, in as well. Yeah, I look, I, I really enjoyed reading this. I wouldn't be ranking it up there with, say, Foundation or anything like that. But, look, I'd, I'd still give it four looks. Still really enjoyed it's it. Good. It's cool. Um, yeah, I'd give it three and a half looks. Wow. Um, it is, it, 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 it's certainly an enjoyable read, but I think some of its faults do actually um, make it the, the lesser of... Uh, the lesser of his work, and it is mm. you know one of his highly regarded um, books. Number fifty. Mm. Um, <laughs> I find it interesting that no one actually comments on the fact that Harlan is sort of manipulated throughout the extent of the novel. Oh yeah, and that actually doesn't change at the end. <laughs> he remains. He kind of remains well, a bit manipulated. But that's one of the great things. It's like he's a guy who thinks he's completely in control, and he's not. And as the story progresses, you're like, you're just not in control of anything. So have you read the story that created Adjustment Bureau? No. Have you read the story that created Predestination? 
Oh, you zombies? Are you zombies? No. No? Oh, okay. But, have you? But when you, made that no. comment, when you made that comment earlier on, it did go to, well, you've clearly seen Predestination. <laughs> um, yeah, so I get the straight half looks. Awesome. So another another winner from Asimov, let's put it that way. <laughs> Maybe not his greatest, but well worth, your, well worth a read. Well, continuing the Asimov theme, our next review is Crystal and Myself as the, the crew pick. It was Crystal's. And she has chosen Isaac Asimov's Tales of the Black Widowers. So, Tales of the Black Widowers is the first in a series of um, short stories, books by Asimov. The, the, the stories initially, most of them appeared in the L.R.A. Queen magazine, so um, uh, he acknowledges himself that uh, some of them have a bit of repetitiveness throughout the book because the stories were initially written for a magazine, so it would be a first-time reader for everyone, not necessarily... Uh, um, Oh, well, that explains a lot. Yeah, so uh, not, they weren't intended. <laughs> we should have known that they weren't intended to be a book collection in the first place. So, but not you know, knowing Asimov, he probably would have anyway. Is that in the forward? Um, yeah, it's probably he's written I'll it skip, in there somewhere. Skip the forward. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm surprised he hasn't tied this into foundation. <laughs> um, well, Dave, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's written <laughs> written it in there somewhere. So, um, yeah, so he, he does apologise for that. Um, uh, um, but uh, yeah. To stay true to the story, some of it had the repetitions had to be left in, um, and some of the stories had he did change slightly for the book. And he he charmingly has a little paragraph at the end of each story telling hmm. you a bit about the story, um, why, maybe why he wrote it or how he fixed changed it, it name and, yeah, and how he name. changed it with 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 uh, feedback from readers. Yeah, because when the stories appear in the magazines, they the magazines give the stories the titles they want to give it rather than what the author gives it so sometimes he's changed the name back to his original title which he thinks fits better and on occasion he keeps the magazine title because he thinks it works better um so the stories uh, are about a group of uh men who meet once a month sort of like a gentleman's club style deal um and the club is called the black widowers now it's loosely based on a real life club that Asimov attended himself called the Trapdoor Spiders and I can't remember which one was whether it's the Trapdoor Spiders that started because of this or the Black Widows that started because of this but the story goes it was started because one of the men married someone who nobody liked so they wanted to still be able to get together without the wives present so they decided to have a gentleman's only meeting the way it should once be. a month which <laughs> sounds a little misogynistic but you know the book was written in the early 70s and that sort of thing yeah. it's clearly misogynistic yeah, but, but the wives <laughs> wives did the, the wives same. had their own club yeah the wives did the same sort of thing and once a year they'll have an annual meeting where the wives get to meet each other mm. but um yeah so so that aside uh, the story's um, set in Manhattan, which is awesome. As um, listeners will know, David and I have visited that very island. <laughs> Actually, I had a, a really exciting moment in one of the stories that um, features a policeman from the 17th Precinct. And I'm like, that's our precinct! Because <laughs> we, we stayed right down the road from that. That was our that precinct. That very police station. That was pretty exciting. <laughs> um, I don't often point out downsides in an Asimov book, but one of the downsides is this book was the characters are slightly similar so i had to <laughs> in order to get around this in my own head i very, pictured very clearly what each character looked like because he does give you really good descriptions and um uh, for instance also i have to say that each character is loosely based on one of his friends mm. so so um jeffrey avalon for instance, is based on Al Sprague de Camp, who people may know as a, quite a good science fiction author in his own right. Yes. Um, and Emmanuel Rubin, based on Lester Del Rey, and so on and so forth. So um, to get around this, I, Jeffrey Avalon's described as, as tall, elegant, so I'm picturing Christopher Lee with a moustache. Um, Emmanuel Rubin, having seen pictures of Lester Del Rey, I pictured as him because he's got the scraggly kind of beard. Um... Mario Gonzalo, for some reason, I pictured... Um, Ricardo Montalban. Ricardo Montalban. Uh, but, uh, like, Fantasy Island, Ricardo Montalban. Um, so sans right, fake rubber chest. Yeah, yeah. It was not fake rubber chest, it was <laughs> no, that, his real that's chest. That's chest. Um, that's sad, actually. That's his real chest, leave him alone. Roger Holstead, <laughs> I pictured as um, John Shuck. I don't know who that is. I don't know why. Yes, you do. He's... Uh, 
He was a Klingon in that same movie. John Chuck. He was in. He was in Voyager not long ago. I was like, "There's that John Chuck." Okay. That guy. Anyway. Block Voyager from a brain. Um, Spencer and Spencer. Okay. Yeah, anyway, um, and and the the the, the other uh, member of the party is Henry Jackson, who is the waiter. And I didn't really I kind of just picture. He's what more than a waiter. He's the butler. Yeah, I just man servant. Kind of pictured a sort of sixties grade head kind of man. I didn't really give him a a, a person. Um, Which is weird because he's in every story. I'm sure there was another person as well. They haven't listed here. Who was the arrogant brush one that says that, a yeah, drink that, for a dying man every time? Yeah, that guy. I pictured him as an actor whose name I can't remember, so that's not going to help you at all. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. That guy. Yeah, he's, he, I pictured him as that guy. Yeah. He showed up as, in a speedy was later on, the yeah. actor. Oh, I can't remember. Tom, Thomas <laughs> Trumbull, that's the, that's the one. That's okay. him. Yeah. He's, a, he's, a, he's interesting. He was a cryptographer in cryptography for the government. Yeah, they all had different jobs. Um, Avalon's a, a lawyer. Uh, Ruben's an, uh, a writer. Drake is a chemist. Trumbull, we just discussed. Gonzalo is an artist. And, and Roger Holstead is a mathematics teacher. And he's the one that does the limericks. The terrible limericks. <laughs> Asimov is a big fan of limericks. And he's worked them, found a way to work them into this story. <laughs> <laughs> Limericks based on uh, the, Odyssey the Odyssey and the Iliad. Yes. Um, anyway, and they're bad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, each story is a little mystery. Um, most, except for one of them, that I don't think there are any murder mysteries in there. It's a sort of little mystery. murder mysteries. No, just mysteries. The mysteries of everyday life, really. And mm. um, there's such charming stories. Charming is. Sounds like a, um, a condescending word. I know, really. yeah, it's like, but they're so charming. I really... In their old world way. I really mean charming, as in you, you feel cosy and charmed. Look well, at those well, natives well, going well, about their business. <laughs> Elroy Queen was never a uh, hard... Was not the one of the hard-boiled... No. ...school. No. Um, you know, no. It was not Black Mask or... The magazine yeah. was, you know, the cosy... Um, almost, I guess, the Christie-type yeah. crime novels. Well, yeah. to put it in as well saying words, he actually starts out the introduction by saying, because I have a friendly and personal writing style, which that's that's mm. how it seems. Mm. Um, the readers have a tendency to write to me in a friendly and personal way, and he goes on to explain that he gets a lot of letters and he tries to answer them all. So the reason why he's writing this introduction is to forestall any questions. He's also very honest. Um from this, from right from the start, and this is no spoiler, you work out that Henry's the one who solves the mystery in mm. every every story. But it's sort of like a, a little roundtable mystery that each month a guest is brought to the dinner, um, invited by one of the the attendees who is that month's host, and they have dinner. And then at the end of the dinner, they're supposed to grill this guest, and the, they start with the question, "Justify your existence." which throws some people and other people just dive straight into it. Um, sometimes it works out this way. Sometimes they go off on a tangent and find some other sort of mystery somewhere else and the guest is kind of incidental. But I just I just love these stories so much that I actually went and tracked down um, second-hand copies of all of the rest of the volumes of the Black Widow stories and I have a nice. proud collection sitting up there on the shelf. How many is there? Five or six. Oh, there you go. Cool. Yeah, it's quite a lot of them. So, throw it over to David. Okay. <laughs> um, when I was when I was reading this, uh, this is this is not my my sort of book at all. This is not what I would normally gravitate towards. I, I was um, very interested to hear your response. But um, uh, not that I'm a, I'm anti mysteries. I just but I just find them just not very interesting. <laughs> so just, the mysteries are not really my thing. Uh, the, when I was when I was first reading this, I read the, the after I read the first story, uh, the inquisitive chuckle. I was talking to to Crystal as is our want, as we you know being living together and stuff. And uh, <laughs> and I said like I thought it was a mistake to because it, it, Henry's the is the the focus and the solver of the problem, and um, and I thought that was a mistake that the that the butler. Was the one who solved the the problem, considering this is about a, a sort of a gathering of intelligent men, you know, gen, you know, gentlemen and stuff like that. And I got the feeling that that's how it was going to work for the rest of the book. That it was going to be Henry, the one, 
you know, it turns out to be the smartest out of all of them would end up solving all the mysteries. And, you know, five, five stories later, uh, and I'm like, God damn it, I was right. And and that kind of, it, it disappointed me. I, I, I mean, I, I understand why. I can understand the storytelling ideas behind why he did what he did. Um, but I just, it just for me, it just, it just, I don't know, it just kind of, kind of, kind of threw me a bit. I, just, I wanted it to be more of a, more of a round table sort of stuff, like well, one person solves it one week, another person solves another week. As Henry himself says, that he works it out listening to the others go through Yeah, it but all. he says that only because they're all now got bruised egos <laughs> and he doesn't want to offend anybody. Because, and you know, isn't it a bit elitist on your part to to say Henry shouldn't be the smartest one in the room because he's the butler? It probably does, yeah. which is why I applaud the use of uh, gentlemen's clubs and uh, <laughs> wish I was part of them. But, um, <laughs> but to take your point, though, it would, I mean, granted that this is a series of short stories not meant to be read in novel form, you know the whole idea being that yeah, but after oh, you've read yeah, five, if, if it's if it's a um, if it's a like a group mentality to you know to focus on have to have the have it be solved by one person every every episode would be um would would be a little bit um, formulaic. I guess. Yeah, that's it. I found it very formulaic and sort of anticlimactic because mm-hmm. I knew every single time Henry is going to be the one to solve it, and so in the end of the day, I'm like, well, I guess the mystery now is how does he solve it? Yeah. Have you read any P.G. Wodehouse? No, I'm not a really big big fan of mysteries. It's not Bidji Waters. They've never wrote mystery stories. Okay, but he, but it's all about his two famous characters are um, Wooster, who's an aristocratic upper class twit, um, and Jeeves, who is his um, extremely reliable, very intelligent. Um, uh, yeah, I guess ballot. Yeah. Right. Um, and the whole idea would be that Wooster would, you know, with good intentions, would involve himself to some degree into what was going on out in the society, society with his friends. And Jeeves would have to use his superior intelligence to get himself out. Yeah, and I'm fond of those sort of things. Mm-hmm. You know, Sherlock Holmes, smarter brother, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that sort of stuff. And I've, of course, read all the Sherlock Holmes stories. Um, but anyway, so it's going back to the the book at hand. Um, I yeah, I just, I just, I, I, I that's basically was, was my only. Uh, as much as I, I liked the charm of the actual stories themselves, and I did, I did, I enjoyed them for what they were, um, and you know the different mysteries that come up. Um, my favorite is the is the the peace of mind one. Um, I can't remember the name of the. the, name of the oh, I think the it's, it's the first one. one. Yeah, yeah, the inquisitive chuckle. Right? It was actually my favourite one because um, that sounded like something I would do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I guess the detriment to me was that it's the people in the group themselves were kind of superfluous in the end. It's like the mm-hmm. person, all the person had to do was really was just talk talk to Henry, and Henry would figure it out for him. And, he should have started up his own business, you know, and just sort of be done with it. Um, but I do like the the friendly and easygoing style of Asimov writing, and you know, as as Richard said at the start, I mean, we all we all pretty much uh, revere Miss Asimov, and for good reason. I Doctor. mean, Doctor Asimov, uh, I apologise. <laughs> um, it's yeah, I mean, the man could do anything. <laughs> so, but there was nothing that he couldn't do, and uh, it's it's uh, daunting at times. <laughs> but um, he does he does he was a uh, he, he was a magnificent man, and uh, with you know, love it or love it or hate it, uh, this you know, this sort of genre, um, this is definitely a good example of them. Um, so I recommend. I mean, I did I did have a smile on my face a lot of the times while I was reading them. Um, I just wish it'd been sort of the love had been spread around a bit. Yeah, well, if he had written as intended for a book, it might have been different. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I do like the little the little. Uh, Little sides, little, little sides at the end. So I had to change this because somebody, you know, and rightfully so, said that this was incorrect. So I changed. I can hear <laughs> his voice when I'm. Reading I can those, too. Yeah, <laughs> I can hear his sort bits. of high pitched New York accent. So I, th- so I thank uh, Young Crystal for uh, introducing me to the Asimov mystery side because I actually um, didn't even really know. I mean, I knew that he wrote, that he wrote non-science fiction. I mean, I wrote. I know that he wrote science fact as well and and other sort of stuff. I didn't realize he did mysteries as, as well. So uh, I am pleased to have being part of that world. Dabbled in everything, pretty much. I think my favourite story in here is uh, the one set in Manny's apartment. It's the only one in the book that's not in the restaurant. Mm. And um, you get to see a sort of bit of bit of them outside of the restaurant. And they're talking about being in the apartment and the sounds that you could hear from outside. And it, it it's very much like sitting in a... Like, I remember sitting in our hotel room in, in New York... And you just just the constant sound. Yeah, it's just constant. It, it, I don't know how anybody relaxes in that city. <laughs> it was it was uh, an experience. The yeah. sound of the city. Yeah, 
just never stops. But it's just, and he has this little aside at the end of the reason why he wrote that story, and it's sort of based around um, an annoying noise that Manny can hear in the apartment building, and it's, it's just he's in, was inspired because he could hear the same sort of noise in his apartment building, and so he. Mm. Rather than being annoyed by it, he turned it into a story idea. And now every time he heard the banging, he thought, well, it gave me a really good story. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, do you have a reading? Yeah, I'll give it three. Yeah, I'll give it three and an extra half point just because I love Asimov, so I'll give it a three and a half. <laughs> That's very Just because he gets an extra half point automatically because he's he gets an automatic off. half point. Or in that case, it's three and a half for me as well. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> there is no way that a Asimov book could ever be ranked less than one half because it's Asimov. Just by definition. Cool. So, um, so this at this point of uh, of our episodes when we reveal our next books um, that we're going to cover on our next jack next next jacket. Oh. Next dust jacket. Um, I can't speak. I'm getting. I'm getting emotionally blocked. Um, so this brings us to our. Um, but we can't, we're not going to do that this episode because this brings us to our special announcement from the start. Um, this is actually our last dust jacket uh, because we are finishing up the show uh, at episode 200, and the next dust jacket would have been 202. Um, so uh, yeah. So it's 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 a sad announcement. I apologise if I gave the impression it was an exciting announcement. <laughs> but uh, what could be exciting? Guess what everybody? <laughs> It could be exciting for some, I don't know, although if it is, why are you listening? But <laughs> you guys am going home. That's it. Um, yeah, so we are we actually are um, bringing uh, NCP to a close at uh, episode 200. Um, I chose that episode because uh, I just like the idea of having 200 episodes. It's a nice round number. It is. Um, and yeah, so it is, it's it's sad. Um, it is it's it's an end of an era. We've been doing the show uh, as I mean, as you'll hear in episode 200, we'll ha- I'll have a whole bunch of. Uh, pointless and yet still fascinating facts about the show. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have been doing this for you know five odd years. We've been and... doing this for our entire married life. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's 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 been uh, it's been a roller coaster. We'll discuss it a bit more in episode two hundred. But um, it's it's been more fun than it has been anything else. And uh, but uh, good things have to come to a close. Sometimes you have to move on. Move on. I think is the word you'll be Yeah, there's the term. It's a, it's a, we've all got other other things that we that we need to do, and uh, and uh, I just think that we've done everything that we can do. We've accomplished everything we could in the 200 and odd episodes that we've had, because actually more than 200. Um, so with that in mind, this being our last dust jacket, and with Retro being Mr. Dust Jacket. <laughs> Captain uh, Dustjacket. Captain Dustjacket. We haven't, we haven't Captain Dustjacket. It's been a long time it's been a long since time. Captain Dustjacket. Oh, I miss Captain Dustjacket. Thank Jacket. goodness we can get rid of that costume. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably Seriously, bit, do you it's, not wash it or something? It must be smelly by now. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna throw it over to uh, Richo, who's going to be doing a, a, a special Dustjacket retrospective. Yeah, it, it sounds very Sunday arts, doesn't it? <laughs> well, welcome to the Dustjacket retrospective. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, no, it's a little sad that uh, Dust Jacket is coming to an end. It was, uh, well, really, when you came to us with the idea of doing this podcast, and I was trying to think of something that I could do was, that was a bit different. And I'd actually, at that point, I'd only just started reading sci-fi novels. Like, I'd, there, there were a few that I'd read in the past, like H.G. Wells and um, Ray Bradbury, but I'd never really dove headfirst into... Um, into sci-fi <laughs> books. Well, that was exactly my thinking. That noise was in my head. It was like... What were you, what were you, what were you reading instead then? Uh, look, um, before this I'd read... Like, you know, as a teenager I read a lot of horror books. You know, Stephen King and... Gotcha. Um, you know, I read some Dean Coons. But let's like, <laughs> You know, you make these mistakes when you're young. But, um, There's worse. Look, There's I, worse I, read, I read a lot of, lot of, lot of horror books um, and a lot of non-fiction. Like, I was into oh, okay. unsolved mysteries and conspiracy theories and ancient Sweet Valley histories. High. Was, yeah. No, I never read my Sweet Valley High, You missed out there, dude. Yeah, I know. But yeah. to, to give you an idea, um, because we have just been talking about him, I'd never read an Asimov novel before Shame. we got to this. I'd never read Dune. <laughs> Luke um, disapproves. Like, well, this is the thing. It's like... And there, there was this gap in my nerddom. Right. Like, how could I be a card-carrying nerd if I didn't read these, I hadn't read any of these great classic sci-fi books? But so, it's, it's surprising because you're a massive science fiction fan. Yeah. Mm. Now, look, you know... That's the mind-boggling having, thing. Having if said we- that, like like I said, I'd read 
like the Ray Bradbury books and things like that because Fahrenheit 451 is like my favourite novel and mm. you know but um and you know the classics H.G. Wells and Jules Verne and things like Frankenstein and you know Dr. Jekyll I'd, I'd read those but but I'd never gone into that like you know your 50s sci-fi your new wave sci-fi you know so um and of course you've come along at that point with the podcast and I thought well why don't I you know marry these two ideas up I want to read these books why don't we review them it was great. You you loved the idea. You were you were all for it, and um, and you know the the amazing thing I think when I look back on this first of all is that it like fans loved it. Mm. You know we got a lot of good feedback on on um, on Dust Jacket, and that that's the first thing I want to bring up and just say a thank you to everybody for getting involved in with Dust Jacket, and um, you know. Yeah, but I, I thought, well, in, in doing this res- retrospective, I'd start by just throwing out some facts and figures, mm. um, you know, as we want to do <laughs> with these retrospectives. Still in the lines. Um, overall, including some written reviews uh, that we did on the website in early days, um, we've actually reviewed over 100 books, which is, you know, pretty awesome to begin with. I, I think I can now say that, you know, I've, I've done a pretty good job of filling that nerd gap that I had when it comes to science fiction novels. I'm still not completely there and I'm still going to continue reading, but it, it, this has introduced me to a lot of writers that I might not have come across otherwise. Mm. Um, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but, yeah, so that, that's been fantastic. We've reviewed over 100 books. Of those 100 books, more than half, 55 of them, were actually from... Sci-fi lists top 200. Mm. Um, of that 55, uh, that includes the top 21 books. So, yeah, so we, we, yeah, that list was a good starting point for me, and we've certainly burned through a quarter of that list quite nicely. Of the 100 books that we reviewed, 22 were Hugo winners. Fuck Hugo's. <laughs> uh, funnily enough, though, only 12 were Nebula winners. <laughs> now, granted, the Hugos have been going for a bit longer than the Nebulas, but it's interesting that they don't always line up, the Hugos and Nebulas. And uh, I think it's fairly safe to say from some of our reviews in the past that whilst 22 were Hugo winners, there were several that probably should have been Hugo winners and several that probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> Yeah, long-time listeners will not be even remotely surprised to find that Asimov was the most reviewed author. Uh, overall, we did ten Asimov books. Our very first one was Asimov. Well, our first, technically our first three, because when we reviewed Foundation on our first show, our first Dust Jacket show, we actually reviewed the first three Foundation <laughs> novels, like the classic Foundation trilogy. Gotcha. And then later on... Uh, more recently, when we followed up on that with the review of more Foundation, we actually <laughs> reviewed a few more novels, the sort of the latter part there. So, so ten. Ten Asimov books in total, five of which were actually Foundation. Mm. And that, that actually includes today's reviews as well. Like, I originally had the number nine down, knowing my review, but then I'd forgotten that you guys were doing uh, non-sci-fi Asimov. We so. had to round it out. You can't have an odd number. No, exactly. And, uh, yeah, so there really was a lot of Asimov love here. Um, and just to give you an idea, you know, in comparison, the next most reviewed authors were uh, Robert Heinlein, who we reviewed three times. Why did we do that? Because <laughs> he's, he's part of the top three. Because yeah, he's part of the, the holy trinity of science fiction. <laughs> <It's laughs> right. Strange Land, the Moon is a Harsh Mistress, and Starship, Starship Troopers. Troopers. Yeah, so, yeah, so we, we went to you know three of the, his classic novels there. Having said um, that, I read one of the three, Strange and Strange Land, and I actually didn't mind it. Don't worry, we'll get to that. <laughs> but um, And the other one... Um, and this actually brings me back to what I was saying earlier about new authors and authors I wouldn't have uh, known otherwise. Um, the other person we reviewed three times was uh, Kristen Catherine Rush. Christine. Christine, sorry. Catherine Rush. Um, which was obviously a big choice of yours. But the great thing about that was she wasn't on the list of mm. you know, top 100 sci-fi books. She and, should be. And well, two of the books that were, we reviewed were in fact fantasy. <laughs> but the alien... Uh, was it Alien Influences? Alien Influences. Yeah, that was science fiction. Yeah. yeah. Alien Influences was actually better than, I think, many of the books that we reviewed, including, I do want to point out, one of Highlands, but we'll get to that. <laughs> That's high praise. Yeah. So, um, but that was great. Like, this dust jacket reviewing 
has introduced me to a writer that wasn't even on this list of books that I was looking at. And, and we had that with other writers as well. When when we started doing the... the picks. Uh, picks, picks. And then when we started doubling up. Like, mm. there are a lot of books that came up, a lot of writers, you know, that I would never have encountered otherwise. Um, and so I want to thank you guys for that, for introducing me to these people, even the ones I didn't like, mm. you know. It's always good to... You know, read these things so you've got an informed opinion of who you're reviewing. Not so. to mention the review requests that we started getting. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, and also, and here's another thing that I just, it's just amazing to think now, when I look back at when we started and, and where we're at now, there was also the writers that we interviewed, writers that sent us books. We had, um, mm. is it Andres? Andres? And, Bergen? Andre Bergen? Yeah, and his Heropa stuff um you know our friend jason franks with his book bloody waters i mean you know it was it was great because people wanted us to read their books as well Mm. um and you know fans of the show wanted us to review certain books and that was that was great because it it opened up even more opportunities for us to encounter new authors and uh and i do remember with um the heropa stuff i mean you really embraced that and Mm. even wrote reviews on the website about uh Andre's work as well, so... Um, he uh, he uh, actually appreciated our review, and I think changed stuff based on what we said, did he not? We got the power. Yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah he, made, he made an edit based on, on something that we said in our review, which I thought was was very cool. Yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a cool, very cool dude. Yeah, and, and he was so excited about things like that. You couldn't help but get swept up in his excitement over his work and our, our reviewing of that work, which I think actually helped with the reviewing of it as well, so... Mm. Yeah, so that that was fantastic, having that kind of reaction as well. And um, I thought I'd sort of have a look then at, well, first of all, what our best ranked books were. One of the things that we talked about early on was, do these books deserve to be to, to, to have the high praise that they have and the high positions they have? So um, some of the, the highest ranking books included things like The Forever War, uh, Lord of the Rings, which make Luke very happy, yep. uh, The Time Machine, uh, and of course, Asimov, Caves of Steel, was immensely popular amongst the group. Mm. But also, first and foremost, Foundation. <laughs> the the Foundation trilogy was the highest overall ranking that we gave any book, any of the hundred really? books we reviewed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we all More? gave it five, I think. Uh, no, Luke gave it four, four. Crystal gave it five, Richard gave it five, David gave it four. Okay, so mm. the Seeds of Earth and Quantum Thief, which are also highly. Yeah. ranked and reviewed. I think, that, I think the other thing too, though, is that... And I had a look through here. I looked at the books that ranked above four and a half yeah. on average. Though They were the books that ranked above four yeah. and a half. Especially, though, the other thing to remember with Foundation was that all four of us were reviewing it at that point. True. Seeds of Earth got 3.5, 3. 3.5, 3 and 4. Yeah, see, so... Okay. Yeah. No, don't worry. I, I, I checked the numbers, and thank you, for <laughs> Crystal, for keeping those numbers... Well, mostly. Handy for us. Mostly. mostly. <laughs> trailed off towards the end there. Yeah. But, um... To give you an idea, Foundation's Edge and Foundation Earth got four, five, four, and four. Yeah. Which okay. does actually bring me to, um, the, the point I'm about to make here, too, which is most consistent author mm. was easily Asimov. Mm. <laughs> we peaked it right from the first episode. Yeah. It, it yeah. did, yeah. And, um, Asimov, for the most part, Asimov's books were ranking four or higher. Mm. Um, obviously, we've just had a 3.5 for his, uh, was it Black Widow's Club? Yeah. Uh, Widow's books. Club. And, and your... Eternity. Yeah, but for the most part, he was he was ranking highly, and he, he ranks as, on average, um, you know, which I think is why we ended up with 10 of his books, because we just kept wanting to come back to his stuff. Um, so, um, there were, um, of course, some... Um, Divisive books as well. There was one between uh, uh, Crystal and myself was Reemdy, yeah. where we, a bit of a discrepancy there, but it was interesting. Like, you know, it was all interesting to get feedback um, and to get different opinions on books and see people's interpretations and things like that. But uh, it does bring me to, well, probably my favourite review of all of the hundred reviews that we did, my favourite review had to be Stranger in a Strange Land. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. Just because you liked the conflict. Yeah, but it was fantastic conflict. It was like, and it was easy for me, because it's like, oh, here's Stranger in a Strange Land, here's a little bit about it. Luke, Waldo, fight! <laughs> I don't know what the conflict is. You're wrong. <laughs> no, dude. But that was great. You guys, you guys went at it. Yes. Like, full on you went at it. Like, 
It was it was a joy to behold. Yeah, but that um, yeah, but don't forget that was also because we are, we kind of knew where each other was going to come from. Yeah. So it wasn't just reviewing the book; it was actually sort of also defending. It was defending. It was it was defending it was our great. ideas. You know, me defending the book, and you defending your Opinion. inexplicable reason why you. <laughs> The great thing about it was it was a real genuine sort of debate type approach. It was like, here's viewpoints, here's counter viewpoints. Like, you know, but it was great because I could just sit back, watch, relax. Cool if I throw the ratings out there? Yep. Stranger in a Strange Land, Luke, 4, Crystal, 2.5, Richo, 3, David, 0. 0.5. Yeah. Like I said, it was divisive. <laughs> <laughs> um... Amongst the classics, if you want to find it as well, um, the number one ranked book on sci-fi lists is Dune. Mm. Mm. Um, have you got the rankings for Dune? I do. Dune by Frank Herbert. Luke, 4.5. Crystal, 3. Richo, 5. David, 3. Now, that was an interesting one. Mm. Given that it is, you know, considered, well, first of all, on sci-fi lists, the greatest sci-fi <laughs> book of all time. Yeah. Um, although it wasn't in that position originally. Because it's a so. live, because it's a live list, it was originally number two. Ender's Game was number one. If you want, we'll get to that in a minute too. If you want to look the numbers up, Ender's Game one. has got dash 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 dash. Ah. I think we refused to rate it for some reason. I can't remember. Maybe we just forgot. <laughs> so whilst, um, yeah, Stranger in a Strange Land was probably the most divisive book we had as far as creating a big debate between uh, NCP members. It is interesting to see that something like Dune, ranked as highly as it is. Still, you know, had a sort of varying opinions from the group as, as to as to its quality and, uh, you know, which does bring up, you know... I don't think my rating was based on its quality. It was based on my level of enjoyment of it. And mm. as I got towards the end, of my level of enjoyment waned quite a bit. Yeah, okay. well, couldn't, you make, I, the, couldn't I, you make the argument I think that's that still in that context, um, you felt that it wasn't... As, uh, uh, the was, classic that was, people yeah, think it is. Yeah. Its quality wasn't as um, good. No, I still felt it was well written. I just yeah. lost all interest in it. So I see. I see my so, mistake though. Um, that's that we reviewed the film in, in episode sixty-eight, and we refused to rate it. Um, we reviewed ah, the book in ah, episode twenty-four, right. and that was game. Luke four, Crystal three, Richo four, David three. Hmm. So the top two books on uh, the list. They didn't quite. Uh, they didn't quite achieve the level that sci-fi lists has ranked them as, and clearly, based on the group mm. consensus, seemed to be that Foundation trilogy is the uh, greatest sci-fi. Well, that's the book that, that Crystal judges all others on, right? Mm. It's, it's my I didn't rate it as high. I can't rate it as high as Foundation, so therefore, it has to be a little bit. Less. Which is why it was actually good to start with Foundation too, in that mm. regard, because it, it did set the benchmark then for how we were ranked ranking things so um yeah so obviously uh we didn't quite necessarily overall agree with uh sci-fi lists uh books um i do want to bring up uh the opposite to that though was the book that is highest ranked on the list that was lowest reviewed by us is uh starship troopers (laughs) (laughs) which i gave one (laughs) well it's it's ranked in the top uh, well, I think it's 11 now on the list, but okay. it was in the top 10 when we started. I remember that. Yeah. Top you, 10. You, you gave and, one and I refused to rate it. And you refused to rate it, yeah. So <laughs> I think that's, a story. that's the highest ranked book as far as, you know, the discrepancy between where it's ranked and what we thought of it. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, um, good, that's good info. Which did lead to um, one of my favourite tirades, the, the, the Dave tirade against Robert Island after that book. I was don't like, get it. After reading Island's <laughs> books, that's it. <laughs> you drew the line. <laughs> and uh, No father. <laughs> and it is always it is always fun to see Dave get up on his uh, soapbox and, and, and nerd rage against anything. Especially Highland being, you know, one of the top yeah, the Holy Trinity. Um, that was kind of interesting. <laughs> one, of, one of my favourite ones was um, Luke and I doing Let the Right One In, which was, which was my crew pick. Yeah. And he rated it very low. Well, he rated it one out of, one out of five. But even I rated it. You know, <laughs> I know, you really I only rated was, it two, was, two out of five. Because I, I was going into the going, you like this, because you've read it, you've seen the film, you've talked about it often enough. And I thought, okay, I'm going, we're going to have another strange situation. Yeah. Here. But then and I, I went, flipped it on its head. Then you went... 
Great, I'm glad you said that because I agree. <laughs> what? That's not how this works. I think that that's the only one time when any one of us have picked a book that we didn't think highly of. Yeah, mm. I, I picked it solely because I wanted to get Luke's mm. or another crew member's opinion on it. Mm. So I, just, uh, I uh, yeah, it was good. It's fun. Uh, another really good memory I have too. Going back, this goes back to actually a fair while now. Um, we reviewed um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And this is it, because one of the things we brought up was Blade Runner. Yeah. And, and, and you know, d- did we feel that we were able to read the book given how much we love Blade Runner? And, you know, we love Blade Runner. So. <laughs> but we, we received an email from somebody who'd actually read the book before Blade Runner even came out, who'd actually read That's it right. in the yeah, early yeah. on period, who gave a really fascinating insight into that, into how the book affected him... Um, as a reader before you know reading it with the influence of Blade Runner in mind um, and I just remember that email and just thinking yeah that's that's fantastic that's great feedback it was mm. one of my favorite pieces of feedback we got from a from a listener well he, he actually um, actually spoke the show didn't he oh yeah you did an interview oh yeah. uh, that's right his name was um, Nick hmm. yeah did and audio you, feedback you, you, yeah yeah um, yeah that was awesome. Yeah. So that kind of that kind of uh, that kind of feedback was always fantastic to receive, and um, but um, really, that's I'm not going to sort of I won't go through all the books and all of that sort of stuff. But um, I just want to say it's it's been fantastic. It has it's been great to to read these books, to get new books from from you guys, from readers, um, to you know increase my nerd credibility by actually having completed some of these books now. Um, and I just want to say thank you to you guys. Thank you to Dave, first of all, for agreeing to do it in the first place and for then embracing it the way that he did. Thank you for you guys, for your, your picks, for your passion in, in reviewing books sometimes, for the occasional nerd raging that occurred in response to that. Um, thank you for to the listeners for embracing it and for their feedback, for their suggestions, um, and just for making it, you know, I think one of the successes and ongoing parts of the show so thank you very much Captain Captain Just Jacket we now bestow you the honour of holding your head up high and calling yourself full nerd (laughs) alright and we do that as we we spray oil around the um, the stake we're tying you to and set the light (laughs) alright well at the very least the costume summer is coming in proudly sing cuckoo if you're gonna go go with a smile Oh, thank you. thanks for that. Yeah, it does take it is it was a, a lot of fun. It's, mm. it's, it's great stuff, and yeah, like like you know, I use it as well as, <laughs> as a gateway into yeah, you know, books that I may not have ever mm. read before. And so. look, I must admit that backfired on Luke and I at one point when we decided to read those Hugo Award winning uh, <laughs> nominated books in a year that wasn't good. It was not a good year. Bloody that did lead to some that did, Connie Willis. Connie Willis, yeah. That did lead to some lead to some uh, Luke nerd rage as well, which was fantastic. <laughs> I, I so, just yeah. to say the favourite book I was introduced to that I wouldn't have picked up on my own was the one that Luke actually gave me when it was gave me or gave you for Christmas. The Quantum Thief? No. No, the African one. The African one. Oh, um uh, Who Fears Death. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Who Fears Death. Good stuff. Um, so it is, it is sad. It is the end of Dust Jacket, and uh, thank you very much for everybody who contributed to it. Let's uh, finish up the show. We're coming soon. Uh, coming soon to Australian cinemas, June 9th, we get a perfect day with uh, Benicio del Toro and Tim Robbins in uh, the Bosnian conflicts, like a drama comedy. Dramedy. Tim Robbins, I haven't seen mm. him. It, I've yeah. seen the trailer for it. it. That could actually be okay, in spite of its um, black comedy. Spite of it, it's part of the title. Um, it actually could be quite entertaining and quite uh, poignant as well. But I wrote a script, a script spec called "A Perfect Day." Did you? Yeah. Um, probably should have got that out there, trademarked. Uh, <laughs> we also get the "The Conjuring 2, the sequel to "The Conjuring," starring uh, the very lovely Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson, continuing the Conjuring story. I didn't even know there was a film called "The Conjuring." Yeah, it's good. That's it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. actually good. Um, like that sort of come through that, that sort of glut of horror films, yeah, you know, that sort yeah. of stuff. And it's actually probably one of the better ones. Uh, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Oh, Michael Bay continues uh, his live action. Continues the quality that he's known for. Yes. And continues that weird to... Megan Fox fetish thing he has 
because if the the tra- um, trailer is anything to go by. What's that about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the exact scene you're talking about. It's just like in a... It's like a school, school outfit. School girl outfit, isn't yeah, yeah. it? Yeah. Just yeah, go to hell. On? What is going on there? Um, Never watching another Michael Bay film. It's, uh, yeah, so, yeah. For, forever destroying Luke's childhood with the turtles. We remember last episode we were talking about, you know... Um, Quality, the quality, how much we are affected by, you know, the quality of a work once yeah. we discover our relations. This is the thing that could destroy t- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for me. I won't see it, but the very fact that this exists, well, and well, people I mean, think my, it's good. Have you noticed that Michael Bay just seems to be targeting Luke? Transformers, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it's, it's, a it's a personal vendetta. <laughs> He's going after Luke, that's what it is. Mm hmm. So that's it for episode 198. Uh, it is sad. It's, uh, it is uh, the announcement at the end of the show. Um, and there will be one more episode with Bo, uh, which with 199, and then uh, all of the crew will be back for uh, our final episode 200. Um, thank you very much for listening, and uh, please stay with us for the next couple of eps. Tony two. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> if you were get an NCP fatigue, it's all right. There's only two more episodes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thank you very much to uh, Richard and the rest of the crew for their dust jacket efforts, and see you later. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to NCP. Thank you for being a part of our crew. If you would like to support the show, you can use the Amazon widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. If you have any feedback, please go to nerdculturepodcast.com forward slash contact us where you will find a list of the many different ways you can interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.